0: Right now, I'm sitting backstage at the Aronoff Theater in downtown Cincinnati. I'm in rehearsals for a Christmas show that I'm a part of. But um, I wanted to tell you all about a conversation I just had two days ago with uh, my buddy Paul Nichols. And you'll hear a little bit more about him in a second. But I wanted to tell you about where you're going to hear the conversation happening. We are in the treehouse behind my house. And uh, last year and the year before that, I worked on a treehouse, which is one for my kids, but also for me. It's a great place to meet with a a fella or two and kind of feel out in the woods and feel isolated. So you're going to hear things like, uh, I think it was drizzling a little bit that day. Um... So you'll, you'll hear a heater, I think, going in, in the uh, treehouse while we're talking. You'll also hear some construction happening maybe in the distance. I've got a friend who's building a house two doors down from us, so that's kind of fun. And uh, that was my computer telling me I had a notification, sorry about that And anyways, I wanted you to have a kind of feel For what what we're talking about We are discussing a book That has had a significant effect On me and my close friends And we want you to hear about it So here's a conversation With me and Paul Nichols Hello Paul I'm sitting here with Paul Nichols. Um, Paul, thank you for agreeing to meet me in my treehouse. I'm honored.
1: This is great. <laughs> I love it. We got it. We got a cool but sunny day here, and yes, yeah, warmed uh, up enjoy a bit. It.
0: We're in the we're in the forties, I think. So it's not too bad in here. Um, you're a family leader now.
1: Yep, yep. Uh, married a wonderful woman. Um, I have a wife that I don't deserve, Stephen and uh, and you've met her I think you would agree (laughs) Uh, but uh, a wonderful woman and uh, she had three children when we got married and so we're a blended family and we have a dog and um, we we live in uh, suburban Cincinnati and great it's great it is it's great well
0: um, we're kind of getting into some headier waters than we're used to around Abraham's wallet our our sort of theme is run your home and money like a biblical boss, and and this is kind of a next level kind of discussion because if the things that we're discussing are true or accurate, then they trickle down into the practicalities of how we live our life. Yes. And um, the way, so it, we're not getting into, you know, uh, how should you meet with your children in the morning, we're talking about big big picture philosophical truths. And you contacted me about wanting to talk about a book. Tell me about that, that book and um, give us some, just your, don't tell us what's in the book, just give us some emotional reactions to you, you reading the book.
1: Yeah, and in the book, and I don't know if you remember, but the the recommend you gave me the recommendation right. for the book just out of a conversation. I don't even remember the context of that conversation. It was probably something around um, one of the the man camps that we're both involved with. Yep. But, um, yeah, but yeah, I, I I got the book and read it, and um, after I, I started, it was to the point where I literally could not put it down, and um, I tend to dog ear uh, a page that that has something. Of, particular significance
0: you got a a few dog ears there and
1: you know for for the listeners i would say at least uh a third of the pages have dog ears (laughs) on them uh and that's just the first pass through it but um yeah my emotional reaction is as uh you and i have talked about a little bit offline is 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 um some part uh anger Mm -hmm. because i'd never heard a lot of these things before Mm -hmm. some part um relief that i'm not the only one that thinks this yeah and some part um a little bit of fear uh-huh. for what might what might happen culturally and and not only in America but in the church in America yep. specifically.
0: Well, um, the book we're going to be talking about with Paul is uh, the Benedict Option, and it was written by Rod Dreher several years ago. And uh, I was thinking, well, how could I summarize this book? So I just thought I would grab uh, Jake Meter's summary off of the Mere Orthodoxy website, in which he says R- Rod Dreher's the Benedict Option features a rather modest subtitle a strategy for Christians in a post Christian nation. So he just says, it's a strategy for Christians in a post Christian nation. So some critics dispute with Rod is not over his particular strategy, but over his diagnosis of our nation, namely that ours is a post Christian nation. Some of these critics like Jamie Smith and Caitlin Beatty simply think that American culture is not as far gone as Rod suggests. Other critics do not seem to find any contradiction between Christianity and the norms passed down by the sexual revolution, as is in the case with Rachel Held Evans. The Benedict Option is about far more than just politics or sexuality, despite the fact that many of the reviews so far have focused on these points. Rather, the book is organized around eight key values that Rod believes are vital for the future of the church. So Rod is interested in the future of the church in the West. They're mostly cribbed from the rule of St. Benedict, although Rod isn't terribly strict about this. And he draws on more than just Benedict's rule in explaining what these values look like in practice. And here are the eight values. Order, prayer, work, asceticism, stability, community, hospitality, and balance. Rightly understood, these values actually reinforce each other and form something of a single coherent way of life. To take one example, healthy prayer lives, as any Christian who has one, will tell you involve some sort of order or structure to them. They're not haphazard. Likewise, stability is what enables community to exist and makes hospitality possible, which must then be understood and practiced in a balanced, disciplined way, etc., etc. So Dreher puts forward... um, uh, what I think he hopes, and, and a lot of these ideas are not new to Dreher, but he puts them together in a way where he says, I want to say definitively that America is post-Christian, and I want to suggest some moves that we could make that would help us to weather the storm of being post-Christian. So anyways, that's an overview of the book, and I'll I'll stop reading, and now we can chat. So start just start giving me some of your reactions, Paul.
1: Yeah, I... I, I agree that, uh, that is a strategy for sure. And not everybody's going to agree with this. And, and I think that, you know, he, um, Dreyer, uh, advocates for Benedictine type communities and, um, that's going to look different depending on your context. I think it's going to look different in a city than it is in suburbia, than it is in rural America. Sure. Um, but I think, um, as you pointed out, there's, there's something to be gleaned from, um, from all parts of this, really, for all communities. I think we, we can all learn from a lot of this um, in, in many different ways. You know, and I was I was formed, you know, and in, in part of my religious and political education was, was formed in part by the moral majority of the 80s yeah. and, um, you know, kind of the, um, the the rise of Rush Limbaugh in, in the yeah. 90s. Yeah. And um, I would still consider myself a, a conservative, although I've, I've abandoned the uh, the Republican label uh-huh. Uh, a long time ago Uh uh-huh and um they're hard to love they are they are (laughs) politicians in general can be hard to love um you know and and i i someone sent me a meme recently was that uh described the difference between republicans and democrats was the difference between somebody who openly hates you uh and someone who (laughs) pretends to like you but really hates you secretly (laughs) uh and i think there's sadly more truth to that than i'm comfortable with yeah you know um But really, it's um, you know at core uh, a question that's come up in my life in the last two to three years has been um, what is more true about me? Am I an American or am I a Christian? And where great question. And where those two are um, at odds, which side am I going to fall down on? Yes. And so that's been a you know it, it seems like a simple question, but for me it was an identity level almost an existential level question because yeah. I had formed my identity as American so much. And I think like a lot of particularly conservative Christians have w- would consider themselves Christians, but, you know, when push comes to shove, they're more American at their core with Christianity kind of layered right. on, uh, like, like the siding of our treehouse is layered over the structure.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so that, um, I, I don't believe that is, uh, is a true biblical model of of faith in christ right and so uh through you know many uh many conversations with yourself and others and and and, um you know a lot of reading a lot of prayer uh i'm very much shifting in that
0: yeah that's um i remember in my baptist church when i in which i grew up that we had oh a couple of times a year we'd have a patriotic church service oh yeah and um, this led to me conflagrating my faith and my nationality. And I don't know when that started to shift, but I know that I remember when I, when I traveled for the first time in my twenties and traveled extensively, I started coming to the conclusion. And I was a guy I'll also preface this by saying I was a guy who in my high school years was overtly cynical about my church because I was reading the book of Acts for the first time and going, why do these things not agree with one another? Why, why is what we do so different from what I see? And when I traveled abroad, I started to come to the conclusion, these people are more faithful in their expression of church than we are. I haven't seen anybody with the faith Well, I just appreciate I'm going to paint with a really broad brush, but we don't have the kind of faith here that they have in China yes, and Indonesia Mm. and Vietnam. It's very different here. And our, I mean, you can look at our church services these days and see that what we praise God for is the benefits that we think we get from him, Mm. period. Um, Like... I think you're God because I feel like you're setting me free. That's what a lot of our worship songs say. And those songs don't work in Vietnam too great. And so they just praise the Lord for who he is, that he's the God of the universe. And so my point is, I I too remember being struck with that uh, conflict between am I at my core an American who... Sometimes agrees and sometimes disagrees with Christianity based on whether it agrees with my Americanism or am I at my core a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower of the Bible who sometimes agrees and sometimes disagrees with America because it conflicts with what I believe. And um, as you have said, I have landed squarely in Camp B. And so i think that's really helpful because we can once you do that then you can hold the institutions of america and the belief systems of america at arm's length and you can start to evaluate them is that a good belief from america all right i can take that one in is that a bad belief of america i'm not doing that um so that's one thing that that I mean, I think you have to have get gotten to that before you can even read the book and not just be in anger.
1: Oh, yeah. Because- <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> because otherwise, you, you won't make it past the first couple chapters.
0: Right, right. Because he he's starting with the idea that we are going to roundly criticize American culture, mm-hmm. call it anti-God, and then go from there and figure out what we can do about it. Um, were there any points in there that got... that? chapter hide or made you think now who does this guy think he is
1: no uh only because um i had those conversations with uh with myself with the lord and with others a couple years ago okay. and and have if have, have come a long way now if i'd read this book three years ago i would not have made it past you know the first couple chapters interesting uh, i'm thinking right now of, of a of a podcast different podcast that i was listening to uh with my wife we were on our way somewhere to another city and we're listening to this in the in the car and it's it's a friend of mine who i used to do a lot of work with okay. and because he had moved away we just don't work together i mean but he has a podcast where he is is uh very um um uh, openly and vehemently critiquing a lot of things that i held dear mm. and and to hear my wife speak about it, she could just see me getting more and more and more angry mm. as I'm listening to this, to the point where I finally I did have to shut it off, and um, and she didn't engage with me at that point. I was just <laughs> I was not available for conversation. It was quiet
0: for a few miles.
1: Uh, yes, uh-huh. yes, but um, but when I, I you know took that to uh, to the Father in prayer. Uh, the, the question and, and the father asked me questions a lot um, as, as I think he does with many people um, He said what specifically about this is wrong when it concerns my kingdom and I did not have a good answer for that hmm. And so, you know, we, we talk about you know, how America is the greatest country in the world and I still believe it is Yeah, I really do um, But the bar's pretty low when you look around <laughs> <laughs> when you look around the world great point, <laughs> you know, and, and um you could argue that America never was a Christian nation. Yeah. Um, but but putting that argument to the side, I, you would be really really hard pressed to say we still are. Uh-huh. When you look at the things in our culture, you look at um, what what forces are shaping our culture, whether that's right or left or anywhere in the middle. You know, look at um, the the media that that most Americans consume. Mm-hmm. You know, look at the types of shows that are out on Netflix or on Amazon Prime. Look at you know, the, the political atmosphere now and just the, the hatred yeah. and the encampment and the tribalism on one side or the other. Yeah. I'm not talking about only Donald Trump here, yeah. uh, but, but everybody. Yeah, And so, you know, you look around at our culture and you think, Where, where's God in all of this? Yeah, You know, and so I think he's, you know, Dreyer is, is very right in, um, in saying this, we, we've lost the culture war uh-huh. and it's time to to start over. Huge
0: point. Um, when you start from that premise that, um, okay, I, if I am the biblical boss leader of my home, then I'm also the cultural gatekeeper of my home. And so I've long espoused <clears throat> that the days are really over when we can go um, well, Disney made this, so I know it's okay. Or I can say, well, I know it's PG, so I know it's okay. Um, or this is on PBS, so I know that's okay. We really have to have a nearly cynical attitude towards what our culture is coughing up if we want to keep our family's culture pure towards the Lord.
1: Absolutely. I mean, even take something as innocuous as sports as espn yeah you know and the the um which you could argue is owned by disney and, yeah. and therefore uh but you know even something as innocuous as sports is, is pushing an agenda mm-hmm. that is um you know and in, in, in wrapped up in terms of uh you know tolerance and equality yes. and equal access yes. and, and benevolence and love but is really you know antithetical to everything yes. that, that the bible teaches mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways and so it's, it is, it's, it's very difficult to, to swim in these waters.
0: Yes. So, um, back to that last statement that you made of Jers, which is, he says, we, we meaning conservative Christians, we have lost the culture war, the days of, of, as you mentioned, the religious right and going, or what do they call that?
1: The moral majority, the moral
0: majority. Um, and hey guys, let's show out in force and let's vote well and let's get the right guy in there and everything's gonna be okay if we can just get the right guy in office. And where's that gotten us? Yeah. <laughs> that did not work no
1: and that experiment did not work and even the argument for you know well we need to we need to vote defensively because of the supreme court because the supreme court outlasts every president and i don't buy that argument anymore
0: uh-huh
1: i mean it's it's really whether you're on the right or the left it's worshiping in the altar of government which right is the altar of king jesus
0: right and i i've just <laughs> been considering lately how so you know when we're when we're recording this um ruth ginsburg is ailing and not dead, at some point somebody's gonna to listen to this and she'll be dead and she will have been replaced probably by a conservative chief justice. Um, and I keep thinking to myself, am I like rooting for the conservatives? And what, what would the point be of me rooting for that? Would it be, well, good, this is, abortion's wrong and America ought to say that abortion's wrong yes you know i do feel i want i would rather truth ruled in my nation than not truth but we also know historically that the more godless a society becomes the more the gospel shines in that society yes. is that what i'm voting for it which which one am i rooting for the one where my values are more properly re, uh, reflected in the way government works and I know that that's better for families, I know that more people grow up in that society believing in the goodness of a father, for instance, or that a father could be a protector to a family, and then you usually transfer that to God, well then God, you know, I, yes, that's all true, and would it be so bad if, you know, all of Obama's policies and dreams came to pass, and we were the rainbow nation, and there was no such thing as family, that the government you know um recognized etc well that would be painful in the transition but i know it would end up being good for the gospel so it's strange to feel like what is my rooting interest and i don't know what my rooting interest is so politics is a really funny game to be involved in if if what we said at the beginning is your main concern isn't the flag the stars and stripes oh i want that to be the way that my parents grew up with and if you just go okay forget that i'm about the kingdom and now how am i rooting politically and i don't know that's not an easy answer but
1: (laughs) it's not it's it's a it's a terribly complicated answer and then you layer on top of that you know this just this tribal encampment Thing that we've got i don't even know how to put words to it like like if um if you you know are even remotely complimentary to anything that donald trump says then you are a bigot and a racist <laughs>
0: yes that's true
1: you know and on the other side you know if you are not 100 percent in lockstep with him then you know the socialists win
0: yes you know yes, and yes. neither is true yeah that's right you know so you said drear says we lost the culture war um, you know our pastor, whoever your dream pastor is, he's never going to run the country. Um, the ship, the ship has sailed on things like um, there being um, embarrassment, there being social embarrassment around having uh, having a string of wives in succession, um, even even uh, abortion. My goodness, in the last couple of years, there's, I mean, there's a movement now for being proud of your abortion and you should, you should shout about it. And, you know, those things just were unthinkable 50 years ago and there, 50 years ago isn't coming back. So anyways, I tend to agree with Dreher that we lost the culture war, meaning if you were in the game to fight to get what you wanted, culturally speaking um, but he has a strategy for those who have lost the culture war. Now that's where it gets really interesting to me because I, I hadn't found an author who was plain spoken enough to go like, no Christians, you all lost. Let's start there. And usually Christian books are hopeful and inspirational and <laughs> the best is yet to come yeah, and all yeah. that sort of thing and Dreher's like No. Um, that we're not in hopeful times in America. We're in, uh, from a biblical value standpoint, we're in sad times. Yes. And so what do we do about that? So tell us a little bit about what he suggests.
1: Well, gosh, I mean, so many so many things to, to think about. I mean, I, you know, you made reference to, you know, the America 50 years ago ain't coming back. And, you know, we, we hear a lot about making America great again. And, you know, I'm wondering... You know when was america great for black people right how about 50 years ago that's we're recording this in 2019 so that's what 1969 yeah just out of the civil rights upheavals yes in this country and you know many parts of america were not great yes for for people of color we just watched
0: um just mercy which just came out it's a movie that stars jamie fox and michael b jordan and it's about a it's about a guy who was thrown onto death row, um, because he was black. There was a murder in a small town. They needed someone to pin it on. The cops couldn't figure it out. They found a poor black guy, put him on death row, and it was discovered later um, he was innocent. He had a buddy in there that was on death row for thirty years, and was innocent. And um, this there's this stat at the end of the movie that. For every nine people executed one is proven innocent on death row wow so you wonder well how many people that were executed were innocent um and yeah the point that what we came away with was this isn't a story of a hundred years ago this happened in 93 wow this thing and my wife and i are like we were in college when this was going on and we thought You just assume as you're coming up all civil rights problems have been solved when you're when you're twenty years old. Just like, well everything's (laughs) I mean, that's what I grew up thinking.
1: Well sure, and then you know, I've heard a number of of, you know Christ followers uh, talking about, you know, civil rights when when Obama was elected, saying, Okay, we have a black president. Okay, what what more do they want? Right. And it's 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 just naked racism. Yes. And you know, that's that's a that's a difficult thing. Mm-hmm. You know, as a Christ follower, you know, are are is is everybody are, are they people or are they not people? They meaning everybody. Right. White, black, yellow, brown, you know, pick your color. Yeah. And so um it's got tremendous that that idea there alone. I mean, you you know, we talk about the gospel as being revolutionary and um you know, just that idea alone is more revolutionary than anything American politics yeah. has ever come up with yeah. or ever will come up with, yeah. you know. Um, so, you know, uh, some of the things that that, uh, that Dreher suggests are, um, um, like you had mentioned it uh, at the top of the, the podcast here, uh, the, his eight points. Um, one of the, and I don't know which point it would fall under, but the, this return to liturgy, uh, as, as practice mm-hmm. uh, is something that's been of uh, particular value for for me and my family here probably in the last six months um, Go on. Please do tell. So. <laughs> we took a uh, we, Can I put a plug in for jump school? Uh, yeah. if, you li- if you live in Cincinnati, you should be a part of jump school. Check it out um, we, we took the uh, the spring one-off jump school class uh, about um, uh, family rhythms uh, one of which was Sabbath and um my wife and i decided that uh our situation is a little differently is a little different than most um but we are going to celebrate and practice uh the sacrament of sabbath of rests um on saturdays Mm -hmm. every week we do too and it's not easy you know we're, we're both uh we're both small business owners and you know we do not work nine to five and so it's, uh, it's a challenge when you've got a project due or you're behind on something and you know Saturday looks really good to work on that project yeah but um, we have uh, it made a conscious decision to set aside Saturdays for rest. Um, we do things that bring us life which for us both is to get outside. Yep. To, uh, to we we like to be active. Um, we like to uh, just spend time with our children. You know, doing outside. A lot of it centers around being outside uh-huh. in woods. Yeah, <laughs> yeah is is kind of our default choice for that. Yeah, but it's been you know it's been incredibly life giving just to try to to step off of the uh, the American treadmill yes. of go 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 yes. perform 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 all the time.
0: Yeah,
1: um, and you know, silly as that sounds, just recovering those those rhythms has been immensely helpful yes. just even in the last six months, yeah. um, you know, and you combine that with a little bit of, of written liturgy that, um, and I'm sorry, I don't recall the name of the book uh, that was recommended during that class, but it's it's a book of modern family liturgies. Uh-huh. And so, you know, structured meals, structured prayers, right. you know, readings and so forth. Right. And it's, um, you know we've uh, we've found that it's uh, it's deepened our individual faith with christ uh, it's brought our families closer to get our family closer together yeah you know and enabled space to to build relationships you know with with our kids yeah um you know a, a few weeks ago my um my 13 year old son and i on a on a saturday um we just we were just puttering around in in my workshop and made a stool uh, Out of just some scrap wood. That's great. And it's you know those kinds of things. You know, I remember doing those kinds of things with my grandfather, yeah. and I want him to have those memories and carry on those you know kind of touch points yeah. of his life yeah. on and on and on. That's
0: great.
1: And so, you know, that's kind of the one that's top of mind. Um, but the intentional community piece has been um, has been something we're exploring more and more lately. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, my wife and I, we uh, we attend a house church. That's been going on for a long time. Right. And um, that's been uh, anytime you get into deep community with people, um, you know, the, uh, the, the the warts tend to come out from time to time. Mm-hmm. You tend to, to rub up against mm-hmm. each other's, um, you know, sin and brokenness. Yeah. And so that's not always easy. Yeah. But, um, you know, there again, we're, we're learning. Uh, we're learning faithfulness in that. Uh, we're teaching our kids about commitment in that and that you don't walk away when something is difficult um we're learning that ourselves yeah you know and when um you know when conflicts arise we're learning how to handle them healthily yeah and so um you know these are not new ideas this isn't uh, these aren't revolutionary new ideas i think these are recognition of ideas that are laid down in scripture yeah that have modern context
0: yeah but the the reasoning behind them is new at least it is new it was new to my thinking the reasoning yes. why to yes. do this so we've always heard communities important and you know we're we're told in so many words by our churches have good friends have close good friends and that's good that's mm-hmm. a biblical thing you know having friendships but what Dreher says in the Benedict option and to me this is the One of the thesis of the the book is, this is what I heard, feel free to react, but what I heard was um, having church life centered around outward interests, reach out, evangelism, and always considering, um, always only considering whoever's not here when we have church. When we meet together, and always just thinking, well, who's not here? And let's think about them, and let's have every meeting be about evangelism and et cetera. Dreher says very strongly, it's time for us to stop doing that because you can take a, a really simple straw poll about very basic theological ideas in just grab a pew. Um, and give everybody a quiz down that pew and you will find that our churches are really weak both in belief and in practice that when it comes to following the lord and understanding what he's like and what the scriptures say we're we're anemic we're really sick as a church so Dreher says this thing which to the evangelical mind is just so shocking which is hey guys could we dial back the amount of reach out we do and could we dial up um what we call in our at our church here in cincinnati in we kind of have out and in and up is our relationship with god and he's like can we dial up the in which is always poo-pooed around my circles it's mm-hmm. like oh does it what do y'all just sit around that bible study all the time and talk about everybody's feelings and um you begin to if you just take a hard look at where culture is you realize wow we need to be more in and we need to have deeper friendships and we need to be built into we need to learn what our faith is and we have to very this is one of my takeaways from the book we to very systematically build into our offspring whether that's our children or the men that we shepherd we have to systematically build into them the tenets of the faith so I never thought I would do this, but we walk through with my children, eight and 10 year olds, we walk through catechism with them. And it's not because they want them to memorize the answers, it's because a catechism does a thorough walk through of really important foundational theological ideas.
1: That's beautiful.
0: And if I was just randomly going, I don't know, let's look at Matthew chapter six today, let's look at the Sermon on the Mount. I might never get to these really basic important things, and then I ship them off to college and cross my fingers and hope they stay connected to the faith, not even knowing what their foundations are like. That's what happened to me. Mm -hmm. I grew up around church. My parents, you know, patted me on the butt, said, "Good luck. Please don't have sex with anybody at college, and please minimize your drug use." You know, something. I mean, that's a little stronger than what they did. Um, um, It's a little looser than what they did, Um, but. Um, That's the way most of evangelicalism has worked And I'm realizing now When you talk about getting belligerent About we're going to follow some practices in this house And one of them is the Sabbath And you can complain that I'm being militant about this You can complain that I'm being bullheaded about this You can complain that I'm being dogmatic about this And guess what? we're still going to practice Sabbath every week because we're going to hit this mark and it's a way for us to know God. So I'm just seconding what you're saying there. And I just want to make a point about the, the community aspect you're talking about. Dreher recommends something very specific, not just go to church with people and smile at everybody. He says develop thick community. That's his, that's his language, thick community. And for him, thick community means let's go ahead and talk about... The cultural differences that we may have and let's fight it out and let's come to an agreement so that I can know, for instance, when I send my little girls over to your house, um, I don't have to worry about what's on the TV because we have already made an agreement in our thick community about how we will live now. Fifty years ago, you didn't need to worry about that because it was either how do you do it or leave it to Beaver. Right. We need to worry about that now.
1: We do. <laughs> we we absolutely do. And it's and it's not it's not so much about following the rules. I think evangelicals get so sin conscious and follow the rules. And I kind of grew up in that. Yeah. That that becomes the point versus Christ being formed in us and, and following hard after Christ to the point where you don't even want those things anymore. Yeah. And that comes through thick community, um, you know, intense scripture study and prayer and and, and so forth. Yeah. But yeah, I'd, I could not agree more that, um, you know, we, we can't just take those things for granted anymore. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it is up to us as, as biblical bosses, as leaders in our homes to, uh, to set that tone, not only to model it, but to vocalize that and to enforce that when necessary. Yeah. Even when that's uncomfortable.
0: Yes. Um. He, he, he talks about these orders So uh, again, this is kind of one of the premises of the book Is that when Rome... Go ahead
1: Can we, Yeah, and, and I, I lost the thought and it came back yeah, to me And I hope that gets edited out But um, the, um, uh, the, this idea of being so outwardly focused yes. and, and being so evangelical And thinking, I love how you say it Thinking about who's not here Yes. And programming to that person uh, there's there is some value to that but then if that's all we ever do like what are we inviting those people into yes you know we're yes we're, you know we talk in, in some evangelical circles I you know I remember this win build send like uh-huh. you win them to Christ build them up in their faith and then send them out uh-huh. but the build part you know, at least in my experience was always, Oh, teach the, teach them how to share their faith, <laughs> yeah, that's teach it. them how to share. And like, what, <laughs> what are they sharing? Right. You know what I mean? Are they right. gonna, They're going to, they're going to memorize the same 10 verses yeah. out of context and, and send them out yeah. versus having that, those deep, rich, ordered, stable bonds, Yes. you know, that we're inviting them not to a religion, not to a set of rules. You know, we're not asking them to join our corporation. I mean, we're yeah. inviting them into a, a whole new, like a radically different kingdom. Right. That, that, other than us does not exist on this world
0: right right
1: and we you know we're supposed to be the reflection of God's kingdom in this world yeah and if all we're doing is bringing people in to sing a few songs about how great Jesus makes me feel yes and I need to go tell other people about how great Jesus makes me feel yes there's just there's there's so much that's lost in that yes that we we have really really done that poorly yes. as
0: a church over the years it struck me that we we bend over backwards to try to say to the lost who might darken our doors we are just like you (laughs) we're just like you we watch the same stuff and we listen to the same music and we have the same hobbies we are just like you and it sounds cute or novel or something and after a few years you realize that the the reasonable reaction to that line from a lost person is, well, then why would I listen to anything exactly. you have to say?
1: Exactly. We're just like you, except you can't have sex with your girlfriend and you can't get drunk. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, what? <laughs> where's the, the benefit? Part, those are the good parts of my life. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Right. And,
0: you know, I just don't, I think what the Lord calls us to is to go, we're not like you. He, he told us very specifically to come out of the world and not be like her. And so we're supposed to be able to say to a lost person, I'm not like you, but I, I remember what it's like to be you and I have sympathy for you and I can help you and talk to you in normal, in a normal language and not, you know, not religious tones. But my life does not look like you. Hey, hey, by the way, I won't be able to do the work thing on Saturday because that's a set aside day for me and my family.
1: Right. And that doesn't mean that we don't engage with culture we do engage with culture. Agreed. And you know that's been the argument for not being weird. Don't be weird. Don't yes. be a weirdo Christian yes. that I grew up in, especially in my college days. Yeah. Um but that doesn't mean we just we we completely get weird and don't engage with the culture. I'm thinking in, in Acts 17. Paul's walking around the Acropolis and he says, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. Right. And he met them where they are, and he right. talks about the tomb of the unknown God, or the temple to the unknown God. And he says, I'm gonna tell you who this unknown God is. Yes. And that's where he starts talking about Christ. Yes. And great revival broke out. Yep. And it's that's I think the the model that we need to to figure out how to do that in our own day. Yeah. To be a peculiar people. Right. But then engage with the culture and say, this is not the truest truth. Yep. Here's the truest truth. So
0: that kind of don't be weird thing. Um, Dreher talks about like um, Amish communities and communities that seem culturally backward. And he's like, we can nitpick about their cultural relevance or whether they're being in influencers if that's an important thing etc what we can't argue with is that they have preserved something and yes. when their children when their children are raised they duplicate the culture of their parents mm-hmm. so they've figured something out that if we think that the gospel is more important than not having zippers on your clothes, then we should learn a lesson from the Amish people, which is how do we train our children and all of our spiritual offspring so that they can live in a culture that um, will sustain them and be secure and won't do. James talks about um, us changing with every different wave of theology that blows through. And to me, that's one of the most telltale signs that we live in a really sick, age of Christianity, which is how easily Christianity at large trims its sails to whatever the prevailing values of the time are and go like, what? That's, yeah. that's not us. That's
1: not the scripture. It is. And it's a, it's a, you know, we're, we're kind of in the, the relevance movement of, you know, the nineties where we, we, we do all these things and that's, and that's great. But again, what are we inviting people into and, and how does that? Um, how does that translate into what the gospel really is and I'm learning more and more right now that the gospel is not just accept Jesus so you don't go to hell yeah like that's a part of it but yeah. that's not the whole gospel no. like there's so much more to it than that
0: yeah
1: and so um, you know that's just it's a journey that I'm on right now and I'm not sure where it's gonna go but I'm excited about it.
0: yeah So I think that the Sabbath example is a really good one of basically you kind of responding to the concepts in the Benedict Option. Wow, that sure was a great point I probably just made, you guys. I'm breaking into the uh, podcast right now to tell you that this is the point in the uh, podcast where my microphone crapped out and uh i didn't get another chance to talk to paul so i'm gonna ship it to you as is um if that frustrates you you know stop stop right now go listen to something else um but just wanted you to know that's what happens and uh we're just gonna listen to my voice through paul's microphone sorry guys this isn't our profession it's a hobby have a great day Were there any other ideas in there or suggestions that you thought, man, that is that changes things for me?
1: Uh, it does. There, there are absolutely. There's one thing that I've really been thinking a lot about recently is um, this idea of stability that uh, the talks about and the idea that. Um, you know, amongst the amish uh, amongst uh, some jewish communities that when when someone when a family would commit to a community of people they're committing essentially for life mm-hmm. to live the rest of their lives with these people and you know there's tremendous benefits to that mm-hmm. um you know with with uh, stability and getting to know people over um a lifetime and growing up with people and um but in, um, you know, in our, you know, again, to critique American culture, you know, I didn't uh, I didn't grow up here where or I, I was not born where we live now. Yeah. And uh, neither one of my parents were from Cleveland. You know, yeah. my father was from Texas. My mother was from Michigan. And now her family lives in Maryland. And um, and so we just the, the spreading out geographically of even families makes that um just that idea of committing to one group of people for the rest of your life, very countercultural. Yes. And it has a lot of implications, too. I mean, beyond just geography, you know, if we're talking about, like you said, let's let's hash out some of these ideas and, and let's fight it out where we disagree and yeah. come to some ag- agreements, yeah. um, that's difficult. Yeah. It was difficult in the 90s. It's more difficult now. When, you know, so much of our, our relationships are formed by social media and it's really easy to just click unfollow or, uh, unfriend or hide or whatever. And I think those, and and this is coming from somebody who's wrestled with that because implicit in that is a giving up of freedoms Mm -hmm. and freedom for a large part of my life has been my highest value. Mm -hmm. And so I'm keeping my options open. I want my freedom. Um, you know, prior to my uh, my, my recent political uh, conversions in the last you know couple years, I had become pretty much a libertarian. Okay. And um, you know, I, I do what I want, mm-hmm. and uh, somebody would ask me why. It's because I do what I want, yeah. and and that's you know, I was my highest value yeah. in practice.
0: Yeah.
1: Now I would I would talk about Jesus all day long. Yeah. And you know, could quote the, the Bible chapter and verse, and I loved Jesus during all this. But when push came to shove, I was my highest value. And so, just the very idea of living life with a community entails giving up some some freedoms
0: Amen. by
1: choice. Amen. You know, when you think about getting married, when I married Erica, you know, I intentionally and in, um, um, with, uh, with, with sober decision gave up. Every other woman on planet Earth, right. except for her, right. for the rest of my life, right. I gave up my my quote unquote air quotes freedom, freedom. to be with her. Yes. And um, the it's a similar concept, although you know slightly less intimate when you're work when you're living with you know a group of people. Um, and it's um, that's been challenging
0: yeah.
1: for me, and and continues to be so. And I think for a lot of people that's. When, it, when things really get difficult, it's just it's very easy to bail. Yeah. And not bailing is um, is something that, that Dreyer and, and many others, and, and I would agree in, in principle uh, that not bailing and staying and fighting through things or pushing through tough issues, um, though difficult, is incredibly rewarding and, uh, and ultimately reflects the kingdom of God on the earth yeah. more and more. Brad, um. And frankly, I wish I did it better. I'm not very good at it right well, now. Talk to me in five years. We'll, well see if it's talk different. talk
0: <laughs> about your proclivity. I, I really think we, we, the American church, trains people to do that, to think that your freedom is the highest value. Because mm-hmm. everything's an open buffet. Take any of our classes you want. Come to any of our seven
1: services.
0: Yes. Don't come to the contemporary one. You can come to the mm-hmm. traditional one. Just serve yourself. Just yep.
1: Please yourself. Self-serve coffee. Oh, you don't like uh, regular coffee? Or here we have flavored coffee. You don't like flavored coffee? We have tea. You know, right. That's fine. I love, I love coffee. And I, you know, I had a cup of coffee at, at church this morning. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm not poo-pooing coffee, yeah, yeah. but, but I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and that's kind of what, why Dreher pushes for liturgy, which is mm-hmm. no, you're just going to sit there and eat this because it's true, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you need to grow up, and you, and this is the kingdom, and I. I um, I, I thank you. I appreciate you being honest, but like that fighting against choosing my freedom all the time—it's it, one of the greatest battles we have as American Christians, I think. And you know, we see that in people's finances. That mm. It's hard for people to make a long-term choice for their long-term good when there's short-term pleasure sitting in front of them. Yes. And, and again, the church has trained people. This way. We've trained people to be selfish and to. um,
1: That's where we've been polluted by the culture.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, we have a group of families on our street, a small number, uh, a growing number. There's folks moving in um, soon. That that uh, building sound that we hear is a new house being built, two houses down by some friends, and we're. We're trying to move towards this thick community mm-hmm. on our street. And I actually put together a document which I, I brought for you to look at. Oh, I'd love is, to see that. Um, he, suggested, he suggested having this articulated order for your thick community. And I just get got lit up by the idea and thought, there are so many things that I... I think I agree with with my close buddies. I think we agree about these things, but let's put it down. Let's write it down and say this is what we want to be about together, and if there's something we disagree about, fine, let's work it out, but he he came up with those eight categories, so I drafted something um, that I'm calling the Broadview families, I live on Broadview, and then I just articulated for each of those eight categories what is it going to look like for us. So for instance, hospitality And then I, I cribbed directly from him this is, this is value six is hospitality He just wrote, we live not for ourselves alone But also to serve outsiders Okay, that's, a, that's our heading For hospitality And so we, I'm just going to read um, Six values that I wrote out and, I, and I'm trying to personalize The things that he wrote about So I just took everything that he wrote And I tried to personalize it So six things, number one Seek to have
1: others dine with you. To dine as an eat. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Love Seek
0: it. Seek to have others dine with you. And I might known, over time, it won't stress you out as much as it does now. Over time. <laughs> um, and then I put a caveat to number one don't ever let guests disrupt the rhythms of your life.
1: That's a great tension. And he goes on at length to discuss that. But I, I think it's, 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 that's, that's beautiful. That's another kind of another, a more, personalized version of what are we inviting people into yes, in the church? What are we inviting them
0: into? That's right.
1: Um, because they are not the center of our universe as an outsider. That's
0: right. They're
1: extremely important. Yeah. But you know, we're we're going to bring you into to the family. Yes. You know, and You're and, and to
0: stay in my house, we all go to worship on Tuesday mornings. At yes. 7, so yes. Will come with us. Right. Yes. Um and this is something that Mike Brain writes about as well, which is just to restate. Them. I love Mike so, Brain. Yeah. He's one of our heroes with economics, especially and, um, if we don't maintain the rhythms in our home when guests are around, then again, it's that if I look just like you, what am I inviting you into? So we don't live like you. We live this different way and we're not going to put it on pause while you're around mom and dad. So sorry if this makes you think we're weirdos, but we're going to, We're going to do some liturgical stuff around our house, and we want you to be a part of it. Um, And then I quoted him directly. If we let visitors upset the rhythm of our life too much, we can't really welcome anyone. That's number one. Number two, look to have overnight guests. So I just put a number down for us to fight about on our street, which is how about 10 a year? As at a starting point. Look to have overnight guests. I love it. So that's just going to be a value. Number three, treat guests as if Christ himself were coming to visit and Mm -hmm. honor them. Number four, refuse love to no one who needs it. Err on the side of invitation. Mm -hmm. So just as an example, um, we had a a babysitter over last night. She was off duty, and I knew she was going to, she's a single girl, knew she was going to go home and eat chili out of a and I just thought, there's no reason why you couldn't have dinner with us. We like you. You wouldn't impose upon us mm-hmm. at all. We wouldn't feel like we have to be fussy with all of our dishes with you. And I think over time, as you're hospitable, you kind of relax about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just gonna, I think, everything doesn't have to be perfect. We just want you to be part of things. So err on the side of invitation. Number five, organize the center of your home. This is about hospitality. To quote, this is a quote from the book, reward courage, wisdom, and active engagement. That is a techless space at the center of our home, a creative space for conversation, hospitality, and togetherness. And if you walk into my living room, I mean, I'm trying hard to do these things, so I'm not saying I'm the paragon of having to figure this out, but we're trying. So if you walk into my living room right now, you will see a half-built puzzle. So that's an invitation to just sit and talk there's a sorry game out on our table. It's ready to play right now. And we don't have tech in our in our living room because we're trying to do this mm-hmm. exact thing. And number six is, this is about hospitality. You give at least a tithe outside your home. Yes. So these are all, these are just, that's and that's it for that section, hospitality. So I just went through every one of those things and tried to write something out. And like sitting with my buddies on the street going like, Correct me. Who doesn't want this? And, mo- and on being like 90% of stuff, they're going like, yes, that's what I want. And this kind of gives us permission to go, I wanted us to have a techless space, but I was afraid to pull the TV down and mm-hmm. didn't want to fight with my wife. But if we kind of say this is a value that we're going to hold yes. on the street, oh, mm-hmm. let's do it. So anyways, so... We've written this, this, this
1: thing about the family. I, I absolutely, if, if you're willing to share that, we would absolutely love to look at that and, and yeah. integrate, you know, as much as we can in my own family, but then in our own community up in the suburbs here. Yes. Um, I'm thinking right now, Stephen, it just it calls to mind a, a conversation I had with, with Mark Parrott yeah. when we were in Salt Lake this summer yeah. um, sitting around his fire pit. He has this great fire pit in his backyard, and um, he just casually mentioned to me he said this has been like rocket fuel for my marriage right
0: because everybody wants to come out and right
1: on fire. and so he simple. he says you know they have younger kids like like he said we'll put the kids down and me and i will come out here and we'll just we'll talk we'll decompress we'll download the day we'll talk about whatever we need to talk about sometimes we'll just sit and chit chat and just be together he said that's a, the best thing for our marriage and he does not have a tv in his living room you know, his, wow. his TV set, I think, is down. Like, you have to make an intentional effort to get to it. If you get get to watch it. a basketball game in his house, you have to
0: go up to this, his master bedroom, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, they have a little living room outside their bedroom.
1: Which is is just you know, and again, that's so countercultural. Yes. But it's it's so it's so great, and just even watching him over the couple of days that I was there, just watching those two interact, you know, I mean, you can you can only fake it so long. <laughs> yes. And it was obvious that they weren't faking that they really do like each other. Yeah, they're buddies. Yeah, and that's just that's great, yeah. you know. And I, I think I have a I have a pretty good marriage, but I want to I'm not satisfied with pretty good. I want to yeah. be I want to have a great marriage and a great family. Yeah. You know, in our own context, and then you know, send them out, you know, as as ambassadors to the kingdom, yep. to the rest of the world. Yep. And so that's I love it. I love it. I, yeah. I I definitely want to read more of that. And sure.
0: And so Dreyer says we have to draw hard lines around our thick community. We have to say these are all our values. So again, it's, it it can feel like I have a, actually have a little caveat at the bottom of this document that I wrote. That it says like we're not trying to create a new religion and we're certainly not creating a cult a cult Mm -hmm. is when I control your family
1: yes Yes.
0: I'm not doing that I'm asking for your buy in Mm -hmm. on this Mm -hmm. and if you don't if you want to change it in some way let's talk about it Sure. but let's just agree on something and then let's pursue the Lord as a community Mm -hmm. and what I have learned so that I wrote this two years ago and what I have learned is that I can't you know, we're part of a big mega church here in, Cross- uh, in Cincinnati. I've just learned that that monolith, that huge machine, it's too big to determine culture in my home. It just mm-hmm. doesn't create a culture in my home. Yeah. And so I want to create something with my thick community and you might not have five families on your street, but you've got two good buddies. Mm-hmm. You could sit down with your two buddies and walk through something like this with and go... I just want to agree with my friends that we're going the same way, and if our families want to like get together, that we've we've now started to do this with friends. What if what if our families, we took a walk in the woods together on Shabbat, and you, um, Adam's a buddy of mine. I just go, what if I just gave you the floor for ten minutes, and you kind of did a teaching for mm-hmm. us. I trust Gosh. him because I know we're going to do, we all, we agree <laughs> on this stuff. And how good is that cross-pollination for my kids?
1: I was just thinking that, Stephen. I mean, how great is it that you have a man that you trust who loves Christ sitting there, standing there, teaching your children, and your children are sitting at his feet?
0: It's excellent. <laughs> I'll answer that question.
1: Oh, I, I love that, and you know, and he could be, you know, the the thing we both know too is he'll probably say ninety nine percent of the same things that you're saying to your children. Yes. But for whatever reason, he might phrase it differently. Yes. It's different. It's the day. Whatever. They're going to listen to him and take it on board. Yes. You know, and then come back to the family. Yes. I mean, even single single people are can can do this. Yes. Right. I mean, like Absolutely. you said, you and your two buddies you know, let's let's form a, a brotherhood here Absolutely. that this is what we're going to be about, and then what happens when, say it's three guys, what happens when those three get married? Yes. They carry that into their families, and then their downlines are then changed right. potentially forever. Right. right, right, right. I mean, and that's how the kingdom works. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. I so, love it.
0: again, I might be repeating myself, but I really want to put this forward because I, I've really come to, I think, when, I'll just say, my 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 boss at the time said, I heard this guy speak at this conference. His name is Rod Dreher. I think you'd like some of what he said. And I, because I'm a contrarian, I just immediately went, no, I wouldn't. I hate what this guy said. Because like, a jerk. D- yeah. Because his whole deal is like, and this is kind of the bottom line some people say about the book, is he's saying that we need to leave society. Mm. And that's what some people say about the book. And I was mm. like, well, I hate him for that reason. He's wrong. He's a moron. Um, and then uh, read the book, and I I think I'm quite a convert. He's, a, he's an iffy character. I follow him on Twitter, and sometimes I roll my eyes at him. But the book itself is really, I, I just can't find a way to disagree with the book. Yeah. Um, and it's really encouraged me to take more of a leadership role in my home mm-hmm. because I realize there's not some magical organization out there that's going to, that I can farm my kids out to the way my parents did me. Mm-hmm. They shift me off to public school. They shift me off to Sunday school. They shift me off to choir, youth choir, or whatever, and thought, eh, he'll come. He'll be fine. And I, and I actually, actually, I was pretty fine. Um, the big controversy at that time, I remember, in eighth grade, they were, were going to start teaching evolution in science classes, as if it were an equal theory to creationism, and that was the big controversy. At Gosh. Time.
1: <laughs> How far we've come. <laughs>
0: um, but but we can't do that anymore. So no. we have to take active places, which I would say is a more biblical position anyways, for us as fathers to take an active position and go, we have to draw hard, line, hard lines around our family and community. We have to protect the perimeter. That means cultural influences come in as we say they can come in. Um, you know, having the, con- the sort of conversations about my kids aren't going to have the technology that's available to everybody else and we've already we've already had those conversations with my kids they're, they're, they already see kids around them who have phones and they know they're not getting a smartphone until they're at least 18 my kids already know mm-hmm. that and uh, anyways when you look at the this, this sort of cultural signs that Dreher points at in his book it gives you a lot of for me, it it buttresses my confidence that this is on me, so I better figure something out. I better find some bros around me. Mm-hmm. I better find some content that's good. You know, I we, we're doing something right now with my kids that my parents never would have done and maybe never needed to do, which is we have ordered Sunday school curriculum, and on our Sabbaths, we, don't tell my kids, but we, we walk through Sunday school with them because we Mm -hmm. we're walking this curriculum is again it's a systematic walking through laying foundations Mm -hmm. of god's word what's god's character Mm -hmm. and like well i i need that help i need somebody to hold my hand and tell me what to cover with them so anyways um that's been my reaction to the book
1: i love it i love it and i love that what you say it is it's on us as the biblical bosses and our families but it's not completely up to us right like we we we're not men alone. Right, we're, right correct. We're yeah. not men alone, nor should we be, nor yeah. can we be, right. frankly, and um, and we're, we were never meant to be no, alone. We weren't. And so, while yes, it is as a leader, the buck stops with me. Yeah. Um, it is not me alone in my family. You know who, or you and your family who. Uh, is the sole arbiter and judge of, of everything because you were formed by by others and community, yeah. and an in influence. And so, bringing those other voices, like the Sunday school curriculum, instead of writing it yourself, yeah. you know, there's there's a deep humility there, yeah. as well. And then that transfers to our children.
0: Yes.
1: And it's it's not only anxiety relieving that it's not up to them, that they are not the center of our world and our universe, um, but it's um, it's I think it's deeply humbling. Yeah. as well
0: I'm, I'm going to do one more little summary of the book because in as much as this is a review I want people to understand the book and hopefully read it but the reason that it's called the Benedict Option is because in, in, when Rome was crumbling when its culture was crumbling in on itself this freak Benedict <laughs> he said we can't stay in Rome anymore because this culture is killing our faith so he did something crazy he went outside the city he formed an order of men who had given themselves to the gospel given themselves to the lord and his attitude was we are going to interface with rome only as we think that it's helpful for our people um, and while rome was crumbling people would come out and bang on the gates of their community and say can you help us and they would look them in the face and say, we help people Wednesdays at 10. Come back then. we got our thing that we're doing here. We're trying to form a community of faith to the Lord. And then we'll do our, you know, compassionate reach out work.
1: And which if i could interrupt is is following what what Jesus did in some instances i mean how many times did he leave a place because he he couldn't preach yeah, there
0: i'm not doing that
1: right right now. read mark chapter 1 and watch and mark chapters 1 and 2 i believe and That's watch right. him do that watch him walk away from from other people and That's say right. this is i'm on a mission this is not my mission right That's now right. yeah so the,
0: so the book is dreer saying I am recommending and suggesting there is a benefit option for the people of God right now, and that's that we draw hard lines around our community, we build our faith among our community, and then we reach out based on what we have. So, like, we could invite other families into our order, if you will, on our street, but they don't get to screw with the order. The order is going to stand. Mm-hmm. Um... And if, especially if they're new to the faith, we would invite them into these things and go, "Well, we do sabbaths, so we could teach you how to do sabbath." And if you don't want to do it, that's fine. You can go to church at some local first, first Methodist, whatever. You just won't be a part of our little thing that we got going here. And it's hard and demanding, and yes, it can be a, be accused as dogmatic. And if you're a, if you're a legalist and you're a grump. I suppose you could go down that road. I, I don't want to be that way. Um, I want to be a grace guy, but I believe that our faith is in crisis in America. It is. And and this is, this. he's just saying there is an option, and it's mm-hmm. the Benedict option. We can learn from one of our uh, spiritual forefathers, St. Benedict. So that's it. Um, do you, are there any other ahas or takeaways you'd, you'd want to?
1: oh so many I mean we could we could talk like this for for a week straight yeah. and and still um, not get to anything I, I think um, you know this this idea of the, uh, the 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 parallel polis that he talks about also yes. is another really interesting idea that, that warrants more conversation yeah. maybe at another time this idea we being you know where we're we're interfacing with with Rome as necessary and we're, we're in the world but we're not um, uh, we're, we're not of the world we're, we're supporting our, our brothers right. and sisters in Christ and, and we're forming different systems of, of trade and, instead of rampant consumerism yeah. and, and um, there's a lot more that, that that we could go down that yeah. road but that, that idea just as a you know as a small businessman is, is very interesting to me as well Yes.
0: Well one of the exciting things about running your own small business is that you have the opportunity of, to set boundaries yes as you declare and mm-hmm. you can set your schedule you can decide who you'll do business with mm-hmm. um, for us um, it, it, we can determine who we work with and we found that that not only means our employees but actually our clients and mm-hmm. who our vendors are that we work with we've learned over the years that like <laughs> there's, there's a lot of decisions to be made that really affect the health of our home
1: mm-hmm.
0: Just I mean it could be just who our vendor is can change the health of our home so anyways, um, yeah, there's a lot of knock-ons. You and I will continue to talk
1: uh, Love it. along
0: these lines, um, but we'll cut off with our, uh, our, our exhausted listeners right now. Uh, so thanks for listening, and um, we'll pick you up next time. Thank you, all for your time.
1: Thank you.